millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Market Maker Podcast, hosted by me, Anthony Chung where every Friday I talk to a member of the team about what happened in markets this week. From macro themes and single stock news to cryptocurrencies and careers in finance, our aim is simple, to make finance interesting and easy to understand for everyone. So let's get to it. Hey, hello and welcome to the final episode. Well, the final for Piers and I, at least, still to come next week. You've got a mini two-parter where Stephen is counting down the top 10, episode one, 10 to six, and episode two, five to one of the biggest banking themes of the year. I've already recorded those. They're pretty cool, if I don't mind saying so myself. So (laughs) you definitely need to give those a listen. But one thing that um, you'll enjoy, Pierce, when you listen to that episode is you you get a shout out Ah. and actually the SVB episode. Ah. Uh, appears to be everyone's favourite unanimous decision that by the board. Okay, done. I'll take that. Well, it's, it's 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 a long time ago that mind. If I'm still basking in the glory of something that happened nine months ago, that's... yeah. What have you been doing for the last? Nine yeah, exactly. Months? One might ask. All right, <laughs> um, but look, let's keep it on point for this episode because this particular week. Um, it's going to be bookended for the year, really, with the major central bank decisions. Just within the last 24 hours, we've had the US Federal Reserve, the UK's Bank of England, and the European Central Bank, all of which have left interest rates on hold. That was very much as widely expected by the market. However, A, there's been a huge reaction in markets, but it hasn't been on all three of them. Predominantly, it's on one. And then also, there's a little bit of divergence between the three as well. So perhaps we can start from the top and talk about the big one and the first one, which was the US Federal Reserve. So what happened there and why have bonds gone soaring into your end here? um, With these Fed announcements, because actually on the face of it, what did they do? Well, actually, they did nothing because interest rates 
remain unchanged. Uh, so the interest rate in the US is 5.5%. And it has been thus since the summer. And it continues to be 5.5%. Um, so actually, technically, have any monetary policy conditions changed? The answer is no. Uh, however, the market's ripped and um, smashed up. Well, we'll talk about some nuances. Generally speaking, markets ripped. There's a po few pockets of interest where you've seen some some downside movement. But um, yeah, generally, markets went through the roof. And, and, and why? And so it's more about the language that they use, that's the Federal Reserve now, to talk about what they're going to do in the future. And more specifically, what are they going to do in 2024 with interest rates? And that's that's ultimately the biggest force on markets today, what's going to happen to interest rates in the next 12 months. And what makes, and that's generally speaking, always the case, right? Markets are looking maybe, let's just call it six months ahead. That's where their pricing is based on what we think is coming in, in the next sort of six months. Now, that's normally the state of play. What we've got here is like a double whammy. You add on an extra bit of spice because not only are we looking out of the six months? Well, what's going to happen in the next six months is that we're going to get a turn in direction of the monetary policy cycle. So we're right at the pinnacle of the upward trajectory of interest rates. That trajectory has been going up for like 18 months, more actually, 20, well, let's just call it 21 months. We've been going up and now we're at the top. And the key is now we're going to go back down. So what we have here, we're right in this, this kind of limbo period between the interest rate hiking cycle and the interest rate cutting cycle. And this is always, and then the same could be said for the bottom, right? When you when you've when you've gone through the cutting cycle and right, when's the hiking cycle going to start? Whenever you're at the top or the bottom of the cycle, markets become hypersensitive to then the timing of when will when will the change in direction actually occur. So that's where we are at the moment. And so what happened last night? Well, the Fed, I mean, look, I've been, I've been watching central bankers talk for 20 years. And what last night, what I'd say was one of the most clear, decisive communications I think I've ever seen in a really surprising way. Because markets have been on the up for the last couple, well, November was awesome, right, for stocks. They went through the roof. Bond prices went through the roof as well as bond yields dropped. And the thought going into the meeting was, well, hang on a minute. The Fed aren't going to like the fact that stock markets have gone through the roof here. They've gone through the roof on the expectation that we're going to get rate cuts next year. And the general thought was, well, the Fed aren't going to like this. The markets have got carried away with themselves yet again, you know, being over optimistic about what the monetary conditions might be. And, and the thought was the Fed would step up last night and slap these markets back down. And that power would go, don't, don't get carried away. Rates are going to stay higher for longer. This inflation genie is not back in the bottle yet. Calm yourselves down. That's what we thought was going to happen except he came out and basically said, guys, 
here's the punch bowl. You've been drinking out of the punch bowl for the last month. The stocks are going up and he's just doused in another bottle of vodka. And he said, let's go. Let's party. He basically, I guess he's flipped from being, um, yeah, rather than being rates are going to stay high for longer. He's, he's basically saying, we're now going to start cutting. And um, yeah, rather than higher for longer, it's now higher for shorter. It's <laughs> probably the best way of describing it. And so, well, yeah. Just, yeah. What I've just tussled with in my head there is whether compliance will sign off that tagline there, which I'm definitely going to use for this episode. <laughs> he's come in and doused another bottle of vodka in the punch bowl. Uh, I'm not sure that one will pass, but uh, no, good analogy at least. And um, okay. So that that explains the Fed. So given yeah. that the Fed are in charge of the world's most important economy, would you have normally have thought then that someone like the Bank of England, the ECB, would be forced to follow, or their ec- economic conditions dictate then a different course of action? So what's the well, difference here between what's happened? Yeah. So the economic conditions are slightly different. There are these these economies they're not in lockstep, perfect sync, and in fact, COVID's really kind of shunted economies out of sync in in many ways and so they're not perfectly in sync so you shouldn't expect the communication from these central banks to be exactly the same and that's really what's happened so today thursday the 14th we've had the bank of england and the ecb with their meetings and their press conferences and they've been more hawkish so definitely they're not stepping out and going, guys, we're cutting rates next year. You're absolutely right. That's what Jay Powell said last night. Um, and the Bank of England are more like hi- higher for longer. You know, they're basically saying what Powell was saying six months ago. You know, higher for longer. Inflation, we haven't tackled this inflation crisis isn't over. You know, all that kind of language. That's what the Bank of England is still saying. And the And the reason for that, I mean, you just look at the set of numbers that really matter, and that is inflation. So when it comes to interest rates, it's inflation. That's that's what is driving interest rate decisions at the moment. And if you look across the three territories, well, in the US, the headline CPI rate is 3.1%. The core CPI rate, which is perhaps more important, is at 4%. Okay, And these numbers have been dropping and dropping and dropping, hence why we're starting to hear them talk about rate cuts. If you compare that to the UK, so the headline CPI rate in the UK is 4.6%. That's compared to the US 3.1, some decent amount higher. Core, well, core, it's 5.7% still in the UK versus the US 4%. So inflation's, it's come down slower in the UK, and it hasn't come down far enough yet for the Bank of England to be ready to do a J-PAL and just douse the punch bowl with some more booze. So they're going to wait. That's that's one thing to say, all right? Where I've got some beef with the Bank of England is, so they've got nine people on their voting committee, right? And so each meeting, they, between, everyone gets one vote. And then the majority rules. Okay. Now, last, uh, sorry, at lunchtime today, the vote split was 6 3. Basically, what happened was of these nine people, six voted to keep interest rates unchanged. You still got three members of the Bank of England who are voting for hikes, not cuts. 
So here you've got a real divergence between the Fed and the Bank of England. Basically, everyone on the Fed is going, right, we're ready to start cutting rates in the new year. Whereas in the Bank of England, you still got three out of the nine going, actually, we should be hiking. So, but what I my point around where my beef is here is ultimately, generally speaking, the US economy does its thing and then everyone else follows because it's such a dominant force on the planet, right? And so to expect the UK to head off in a sudden massive opposite direction economically to the US, it's just not going to happen. We're too synced, even though the sync is a little bit out of step. Ultimately, we are synced. And so what happens in the US generally is going to happen here. So I think the Bank of England should be they should be voting 9-0 to keep rates on hold. There shouldn't be anybody still voting to hike, in my opinion. But So from an economic perspective in the UK, so earlier this week, the UK economy, I think it was October data, because it's backward looking, contracted 0.3%. Mm. is falling, which obviously goes against the grain of the three who are looking to hike. My yeah. question then is, are we in the sweet spot for global equities right now, because yes, growth has been very robust in the US, but as we're going to see going forward, it's likely to weaken going forward. So growth potential is going to get worse. There's downside risks there. So at the moment, stocks are kind of um, steroid induced by this idea of rates are going to come down. But as the economy actually starts to slow, what does then that look like as we go further into next year? Yeah, so so comparing the two again, the US versus the UK, the US economy is really strong. Like they've got like if, if you're a, if you're a stock, right, a share price in the US is that's the sweet spot. We talked about Goldilocks, right? You've actually got a strong economy, positive, and you've got the Fed who are going to cut rates, positive. In the UK, it's kind of the exact opposite, where you've got an economy that's weak now and actually contracted, as you said, in October, and the Bank of England are still threatening to hike, right? So you kind of got the double negative. Now, there are slight nuances as to why the Bank of England are being a bit more stubborn. I said inflation's high. The thing is here in the UK, yes, the economy's weaker, but inflation's still high. And the thing is, we've still got services price inflation that's very elevated and the wage growth numbers are still very elevated and you've had stuff like the government raising the minimum wage um, and things like this which feeds into wage growth now the thing about that is especially at the bottom end of the spectrum in terms of income levels if you're getting wage growth at the very bottom end that tends to be more inflationary that's because people earning lower income end of the bracket, they're tending to spend all of their income on you know, domestically, okay? Top end of the wage bracket, the super rich, they're not spending all their income because there's too much of it to spend, right? And they're investing it in stocks and other assets. Plus, they typically travel more, so you're getting more spending internationally as well. So from an inflationary point of view, where the UK is a little bit different to the US, the wage growth is still elevated and at the lower income level. That's what the Bank of England are just, they're kind of just looking over their shoulder a bit going, hang on, that that kind of beast is still in view. And, and whilst that's still lingering, they don't want to start celebrating 
that the inflation crisis is over, which is fair enough, I guess. Okay, so there seems to be quite a clear contrast between what you've discussed, the US and the UK. So where does Europe fit within that spectrum? Um, Europe's kind of, well, so let me compare them again. So I was going through this inflation numbers, right? Well, well, actually, also, let's look at the the actual, what's the level of interest rates? Because actually, the Fed have got the highest interest rate at the moment, 5.5% but they've signaled they're going to start to cut. The Bank of England are slightly below at 5.25%, basically saying they're at the top, but they're not ready to cut. But actually, the ECB is lower still at 4.5. So the ECB's hiking cycle was smaller, number one. Uh, interestingly, out of the whole three, inflation levels in the Eurozone are the lowest. So the headline CPI is 2.4% below the US 3.1, below the UK 4.6. And their core CPI is 3.6%, below the US is 4%, below the UK is 5.7. So they've got the lowest interest rates, they've got the lowest inflation rates, but the ECB are notoriously slow, they're not proactive. You know, it's due to the fact you've got you know, ultimately 19 countries around the table all putting in their own thing and they're all very different economies. It's just a lot harder to get stuff done. So Lagarde, Christine Lagarde, the president of the ECB, was basically saying they did not discuss the idea of cutting interest rates at all in the meeting. And she was basically saying, you know, cutting rates, actually, she made quite a good analogy, cutting rates too soon after the most aggressive series of rate rises in the ECB's history would be like passing from solid to gas without going through the liquid phase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, as you were just, when you said solid, the way you said it. And then gas. Yeah, I certainly wasn't thinking of probably what she was intending. So there's your a little bit of a GCSE physics lesson for you in the ECB meeting this afternoon. Um, but yeah, they're more they're closer to the Bank of England in the respect of their waiting and they're being a bit more prudent and conservative, which is always their way even though their inflation levels are lower than anyone else's. And you could argue economically they're in worse shape. But the good old ECB sit there and do nothing. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not surprised. Okay, final question then. You said at the top of the show that there are some pockets that haven't mm. reacted so favorably. So what would those pockets be? Yeah, right. So this is like, if I just list out some of the market moves, let's just go back to the big boys now and talk about the Fed. I talk about some of the... Um, the market reactions on Wednesday night when Powell was super dovish saying, right, we're cutting rates, let's go, let's go. Um, now, I talked a couple of weeks ago about how this is phenomenal news for companies that you would put in the category of being interest rate sensitive. So companies where when borrowing costs are high, that's really bad news for them. Um, and that tends to be growth stocks who are more highly levered or are borrowing more to invest in their growth because they've got loads more growth to go. So let's accelerate that by borrowing money. So that whole growth stock part tends to be, and, that, and that, that's the section of the market that's been batted down 
and particularly in the smaller companies as well. So the small caps. So there's an index called the Russell 2000 in the US, which is the, an index of 2000 small cap US stocks. So that was up three and a half percent on Wednesday night. Um, so that's your small interest rate sensitive stocks really powering north. Okay. You've got bond yields. Well, they're dropping certainly at the sh what we call the shorter end of the curve. I don't want to go too technical here, but like a two-year government bond, the yields were down 30 basis points, 0.3%, which is a big move. Um, and then it's not just US stocks, right, that are feeding off of this. And here's a really good point to make. We just talked about the Bank of England and the ECB not doing the same as Powell. They're not saying we're going to cut. And yet, European and UK stocks are up. Why? Because it's the US that's more important. So actually, and check this out, the DAX, that's the German stock market, hit a new all-time high on Wednesday night. DAX futures, and again this morning, new all-time high. Not because the ECB are saying they're cutting rates, because they didn't. It's because the Fed are saying they're cutting rates. You had the FTSE up 1.6%. European stocks through the roof. The dollar index dropped sharply. You've got gold prices higher. Again, all-time highs. So lots of movement all over the place. But the most interesting, I think, and actually it's something Stephen mentioned for our regular listeners. He coined quite a good uh, terminology. I hadn't heard it. I don't know if he... He came up with it himself or he read it somewhere, but he talked about it's not the S&P 500. It's the S&P 7. And then it's the remaining S&P 493. Mm. So the, the S&P 7, meaning the magnificent seven, the big seven tech stocks in the US. So what happened this week on Wednesday was something happened that has not happened for, for the entire year. And that is... The S&P was up on the day with all seven of the Magnificent Seven being down on the day. That was the only single day of the entire year where that's happened. And actually, that's only happened on five days in the last five years. Such is the dominance of these seven stocks. Normally, if these seven stocks are up, the index is up. If the seven stocks are down, the index is down. On Wednesday, the seven stocks were down and the index was up. And what's happening is money is flowing out of those magnificent seven who are not interest rate sensitive, even though they're tech stocks, you could say, and there's still plenty of growth for some of them. They're such cash flow, so cash flow generative. They don't borrow money, right? So they're not, they're not, they're immune to the interest rate hikes. So they've done really well this year as rates have been going up. So now rates have been signaling to go down. You're getting people book profit on the Magnificent Seven and push this money down into the lower cap stocks. So, yeah, Magnificent Seven down whilst the index was up. First time in the whole year. But just to be clear, you're not writing off the Magnificent Seven for 2024. No. So just to be clear, there's a bit of a rotation of what we call a rotation of assets here, right, where you're getting some players that have been running these strategies all year, long the seven, and not invested in the others, or maybe you've got some going short the others if you've got a more extreme strategy. All you've got is a little bit of a strategy shift where you're taking some of the money off the table from the seven to pivot elsewhere, but this means the seven dip. Have you heard of the terminology buy the dip? 
Well, oh, yeah. so those who aren't in the Magnificent Seven or who aren't invested enough in their opinion, this is their chance to come in on those stocks. So, yeah, no, don't, for sure, I'm not calling the top on the Magnificent Seven. Hmm. Just, foolish... just to specify, this podcast is not sponsored by eToro or IG <laughs> or anything like that when we start talking via the dips. Um, but okay, well, look, let's let's wrap it up there final episode of the year so yeah just thank you from myself and uh peers i'm sure for for following us throughout the year um do drop us a, a comment i know you can do that on spotify in particular it's really easy to do let us know what your favorite episode was hmm. so drop a comment let us know and that will give us a little bit of direction and guidance then perhaps of how we can steer the content for 2024 be really appreciated but thank you as ever peers for being the partner on the on the pod thank and, uh, you another another year in the bank and uh yeah look forward to seeing you on the other side have a great festive holiday all right take care everyone all the best bye bye tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.